was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? Oh, it was my turn till I met you. I was breathing but not alive And all my failures I tried to hide It was my turn Till I met you Well, I am super excited uh, to be speaking this morning. Uh, again, my name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here, and this is my friend Ellie. She's one of our worship leaders, and we're going to be talking about worship and wonder today. And to start us off, just to kind of give us some context so that you know kind of where I'm coming from, I was born in 1985, so I was kind of a child of the 80s, mostly a child of the 90s and 2000s which is really important to understand because that means that I grew up in the generation of church when there was this worship boom. And some of you know what I'm talking about. This was a time when the church was transitioning from using hymns to choruses to what they called contemporary worship. And everyone, and I mean everyone, was making some kind of worship-centered album during these formative years of this, this idea of contemporary worship. I mean, Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, a rock band named Audio Adrenaline, Metallica. Okay, maybe not Metallica, but Ellie, do you get any of those references? Some of those? Yeah. So, so a lot of artists were making worship albums, even Willie Nelson, like the, uh, the um, On the Road Again, like that, that Willie Nelson made a worship-centered album. It literally was everywhere, and something that I grew up in was this idea that worship was, during this season of church, was just exploding. And I remember in high school, specifically on Wednesday nights, it, every Wednesday night just kind of turned into a worship night. Like my youth pastor hardly even spoke. It was just these times of worship. And then it's almost like they swung the pendulum the other way by saying that worship wasn't just the time in church when we sang. It was an expression of our life. Everything that we did in our lives was worship. And I remember hearing that. And, of course, hearing that as a teenager, I, I remember thinking, everything is worship? Like, I'm pretty sure after a basketball game, when I go to McDonald's with my buddy and we have burger patty throwing contests in the parking lot, like, I'm pretty sure I was almost positive that that wasn't worship. So hearing all of that as I was growing up with all these changes taking place, for me and for a lot of the people in my generation, it made it confusing at times to know where to begin when it comes to this topic of worship and wonder. But when we look at the prayer of Jesus, when his disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray, when we look at that prayer, the thing that Jesus says is to pray like this. He gives them 
a recommendation, and this is what he says. This is found in Matthew chapter 6. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So Jesus begins at this place of worship and wonder by keeping God's name holy. So how do we keep God's name holy? Our response is worship and it's wonder. That is our response in keeping God's name holy. That's where we start. We begin by giving God honor and praise, one, for who he is, and the second thing is for what he's done, what he's done in our life, what he's done in the lives of those that we love and that we do life with. That's our response to give God honor and praise for who he is and for what he's done. And out of that might come a question to your mind, well, then who is God? God, as Jesus refers to in this prayer, God is our Father. And that term for some of us, that term Father, that might be a hard term for us to to wrap our head around because of the example that we had in our earthly father, which everybody has. And there's no denying that. There's no getting around it. Every single person has an earthly father. And they were either a good example or they were a not so good example for an earthly father. Everyone has an earthly father. And that example is something that we take and that we apply to different areas of our life, specifically when it comes to the way that we look at God as, as father. And when you hear that term, father, maybe that brings up memories of your father being active and being present in your life. Or maybe it brings up these feelings of distance or just a complete absence of that figure in your life. Maybe it brings up memories and feelings of being loved and being supported and being encouraged and challenged. Or maybe it brings up feelings of pain and feelings of disappointment. That all plays into the way that we approach God. And the way that we, through this prayer, Jesus is reminding us that God is our heavenly father. And Jesus is reminding us in this prayer to approach him that way. So that's how we begin to make our approach in prayer through worship and wonder is recognizing that God is our heavenly father. And Jesus referring to God as as our father it implies a lot of really cool things. And one of the things that it implies is care that was given. For Jesus to refer to God as Father implies that there was care given to his children. It implies belonging. The term Father implies love. Father implies creation. And Jesus uses this term to help us understand that we were created by God and that we were created for God. He uses this term to remind us so that we focus on this truth that God is our Heavenly Father. And this is something that Jesus wants us to really grab a hold of. And this is something that Jesus really wants us to believe because whatever the example that we had of our earthly father, whether it be good or whether it be not so good, what Jesus is wanting us to understand and to remind us through this prayer is that our Heavenly Father is good. Our Heavenly Father loves us. Our Heavenly Father loves us unconditionally. There's a song that we're going to sing that illustrates this idea just beautifully. And and this song might be familiar to some of you. For some of you, it it might be a a new song to you. And this song is called Good, Good Father. He's so good, they had to use good twice in in the title. I, I just love that. And there's a line, so nice they named it twice, yeah. And there's a line in this song, and it goes like this. And it's referring to the love that God has for for us. It says, love so undeniable, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable, I can hardly think. And I I want you to do a couple things while we sing this. I want you to, one, 
reflect on the scripture that we've read so far. So focus on this prayer and the words of Jesus and focus on the words of this song. And bring to mind whatever your relationship is with your earthly earthly father. Maybe it's a relationship that you had. Maybe it's a relationship that you have. But I want you to bring all of that into your mind as we sing this song so that you get a picture of the love that your, your heavenly father has for you. This song is called Good, Good Father. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, and I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know that we're all searching for answers. Only you provide, cause you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Oh, it's love so undeniable. I, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable. I I can hardly think as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still into love, love, love. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. 
So God is our Father, and we are loved by God. And that love that God has for us and that he displays and that he showers upon us is unconditional. It is unfavored. It's a love that he lavishes upon us. And it's a love that we don't deserve, but that is who our Father is. That's the love that God has for us. And Jesus, he illustrates the love of God later on in a story that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. That's the perfect contrast to this section of the prayer. And this story is known as the, the prodigal son. It's known as the parable of the lost son. So it has a, different, a few different titles depending on what translation uh, that you're looking at. And again, this is in Luke 15. And, and in this story, there's a father who has two sons, and he's a quite wealthy man. He's got a lot of property and a lot of workers, a lot of livestock, and he's very well known in the area as being very uh, financially sound, I guess is a, is a good way of saying it. And the youngest of his two sons comes to him, and he asks, he asks for something that he thinks is okay, but in this culture and in this time is quite offensive. He goes to his father and he says, I would like my inheritance and I would like it now. And so what we've got to understand is this isn't just a son going to his father and asking for money. This is a son that's going to his father and pretty much by asking for his inheritance, he's pretty much telling his father that he wished that he was dead. He wishes that he was dead so that he could get his money and just kind of go about living his life. And what we've got to understand is that the father is under no obligation whatsoever to give the son his inheritance under no obligation. It's a decision that he does not have to make. But it's a decision that we see in this story that the father decides to make to give his son the inheritance that was promised. And so the son takes that money and he goes away and, and the story describes it as wild living that he blows all of his money on. So we can, you know, we can kind of assume what is included into that wild living. You know, I assume there's parties and just all kinds of different relationships without commitment, you know, all that, all that stuff. And to no surprise, we find the son at the end of his rope, and he, he's blown all of his money, and, he, and then at this time, there's a famine, so a, a massively extreme shortage of food hits the area that he's in, and he begins working at a farm, tending to the pigs, and he's dumping the slop of the, the pods that he's feeding to the pigs, and he looks at it, and he's so hungry He's considering eating what he's feeding the pigs because nobody is giving him any food to eat. And I love the words that is used in this story because what it says here in verse 17, Luke 15, verse 17, it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have a food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So the son is kind of preparing this speech to give to his father, almost in a way to assure that he gets a place to sleep and that he gets food to eat, because at this point he's, he's tired, he's broke, and he is starving. And that was when he finally came to his senses, when he was at the end of his rope, and he decides to go home. So the son is, is headed home, 
And at this point in the story is where Jesus uses this story to illustrate the love that God has for us. Look at verse 20. So he, the son, returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And what I love about this is how it says, while the son was still a long way off, the father sees him and he runs to him. So how could the father see him while he was still a long way off? The father was waiting for him. The father was looking for him. And instead of waiting with his arms crossed and waiting for his son to come to him to receive judgment, the father runs to his son and he embraces him. Regardless of what the son has done, at this point the father doesn't know, he just sees his son. Regardless of what the son does, the father embraces him to show the love that he still has for his son. And it's really interesting the way that the son responds to that because he begins to give the father the speech that he'd been practicing probably the whole way home, right? What does he say? Look at verse uh, 21. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. And listen how, this, how the story, at, at least at this point, finishes this thought. It says, so the party began. Our Father in heaven. Jesus tells this story to understand two things. One, to help us understand the kind of love that God has for us. And again, that is unconditional. So no matter what we've done, there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more or to make God love us less. He still loves us. That's the kind of father that he is. And the second thing that this story illustrates, at least in this section, is it gives us a picture of heaven, our father in heaven. This story gives us a picture of the love of God, and it gives us a picture of heaven. Look back at 22 through 24. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on his feet, get a ring for his his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate, for this son of mine was dead, has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. And something that we've got to understand is heaven, heaven isn't just something to come later. The party begins when we, when we come home to Jesus. God is our Father in heaven, but heaven is also here. Later on in Scripture, Jesus is quoted by saying, the kingdom of heaven is already among you. And why is the kingdom of heaven already among us? Because Jesus came to be among us. So because Jesus came to be among us, heaven has come to earth. And not only did Jesus come to be with us in our, in our pain, but he came to bring heaven to earth. And what that does is that pools us all together in the same pool of life because we're all just trying to find our way back home. And here's another thing that we've got to understand from this story. Anything that we run to, anything that we chase after, whatever that carrot is that you're chasing during your day, anything that we run to and run after other than the love of God is going to leave us disappointed. It's going to leave us unfulfilled. As we see in this story with the son, when he came to the end of himself, after he was chasing whatever he felt like he needed to chase apart from the love of his father. Anything that we chase other than the love of God 
is going to leave us disappointed. And it's going to leave us unfulfilled. But if we chase the love of God, if we run to God, our Father in heaven, that's always going to leave us satisfied. When he came to his senses, Jesus wants us to come to our senses. And he wants us to realize how loved we are. A couple years ago, I wrote a song that talks about the kind of love that God has for us. And I wrote it for, for my children. I have three boys. I wrote it for them, but I also wrote it with the story of the prodigal son in mind. And I know that some of you may have heard this song, and for most of you, this is going to be a, a brand new song for you. But this song talks about the love that God has for us because here, here's the truth. We are all the son in this story. There's something that we've done that, that we, where we've, we've, we've just blown it, we've messed up, we've screwed up, we've fallen short, right? We've got to remember that Scripture says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But God is looking for us. God is waiting for us. And while we're still a long way off, God's going to run to us. And so this song is called You Are Loved, and, uh, and I hope it, uh, hope it blesses you. Let go, let go of 
what you've done Cause you are loved Forever you are loved Oh, cause you are loved Forever you are loved You are loved Forever you are loved So our Father in heaven May your name be kept holy. God is holy. Look back at verse 21 from Luke 15. It says this. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. This is when the son recognizes what he's done, and this is when the son really recognizes who his father is. And the son responds the way that he does so that he makes sure to humble himself because he knows what he's done. He knows that he's sinned against heaven and that he's sinned against his father. And the son knows that in, in, in his culture, in Jewish culture, the father had the power and, it had the, and he had the authority to either receive his son or to reject his son. So have this picture in your mind of the son just completely humbling himself, bending down to the floor, reciting this speech that he'd practiced probably an uncountable amount of times. Because he's waiting to see what that response of judgment is going to be from his father. Is he going to be received? Is he going to be rejected? And he knows that his father has the power to decide either way. And this is a picture of God because God has the power to forgive. And the son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So what he's done is he's, he's responding that way because of what he has done. And he's assuming that because of his actions and the way that he's blown his money and the way that he's responded to his father's generosity, that that is going to make him now unworthy to receive the love from his father because he's sinned. And he's recognizing who he is and he's recognizing what he's done. Paul, who was an apostle of Jesus and who wrote most of the letters that make up the New Testament, he wrote this in 1 Timothy 1.15. This was a letter that he was writing. And he said, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone must accept it. Should accept it, sorry. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here's how Paul uh, quotes of himself. And I am the worst of them all. Paul is recognizing who he is. The son in the story is recognizing who he is. We need to recognize who we are. I said it earlier, we, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that in Romans. We've all sinned and fallen short. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves holy. No amount of good works, no amount of things that we can do can make ourselves holy. God is holy, and only God can make us holy. Again, it's not about how much you do. No amount of good works can make you holy. Only the Father and what is our response to that kind of holiness? What is our response to God's holiness? Our response is worship and wonder. Our response is worship. And here, here's what I really believe that worship is. It's the intentional attitude and action of focusing on God. Worship is the intentional attitude and action of focusing on God. So regardless of what's going on in our lives, what we've got to realize is that our worship, it's not a product of our environment, right? So that means that whatever's going on in our life, it, it, it shouldn't determine the way that we respond and worship to God. Worship is a posture of our heart. So what does that mean? What that means is 
We respond to worship and to the holiness of God, regardless of whether we are in a good season, whether we're in a not-so-good season. We respond to the holiness of God in worship. We focus on God. When we gather together like this online, that's why we sing together. Corporately, we are gathering together to intentionally act and to intentionally focus on God through worship. If, you're ever, if you've ever wondered why we sing in church, that's why we sing, so that we're able to intentionally focus on God. Because we get distracted in the, in the world, and we can get pulled away from what we say is most important in our lives. And, it, and as a follower of Jesus, something that we would profess and that we would say is that worshiping God is important. But then we allow ourselves to drift. That's why we worship, so that we have a moment where our attitude and our actions are intentionally focused on God. That is worship. And we also respond in wonder. Wonder. I, I think of, of childlike faith when I hear that word, but here's another way to, to, uh, to look at it. What does it look like for us to live and to respond in wonder of God? I think it means for us to always live with an expectation of what God is going to do. We always live in expectation of what God is going to do. I was talking to a friend of mine recently about how we can approach God and how we can approach our time together online like this and how we can really stop living in expectation. This time that we gather, it can, it can be this time where we just simply feel like we go through the motions or it becomes this box on our to-do list that we feel like we just have to check the box for. We, we, we lose the, the wonder and we forget to live in expectation. Or we can associate expectation that we have on God to do things with certain seasons of our life or different places where we've, we've experienced God before. For example, we, uh, we take our students to summer camp every single summer. Our high school students go to one place and our middle school students go to another. And that is always a week that we look forward to. The high school camp that we go to, it's called Big Stuff. And, I mean, we, we stand in line hours before the doors to the auditorium open. Why? Because we are living in wonder and expectation of what God is going to do when we corporately gather in that auditorium for that worship service. We're expecting God to rain down his presence through the worship, through the, 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 the talks, through our, our group time that we have in our small groups with our students. We live in expectation during that week. And then we come home and we kind of just forget to live in that expectation as we wake up every day with this wonder of what is God going to do today, expecting God to show up and to do incredible things. And we can think that we have to wait until that place or that experience the next year. And it might not be summer camp for you. It might be a retreat that you've been on before. Or it might be a weekend away that you had with friends where you, you just felt God in such an intimate way. And and then you feel like you have to wait till the next time to express your worship and your wonder and your prayers to God. And that's not how God wants us to live. God wants us to live in expectation. He wants us to respond in worship and wonder every single day. When we got back from one of the weeks of camp, that following Sunday, one of the students, uh, his name is Jeremiah, and we had a group text that we had with our entire group, and it was really fun to stay in contact with him that week, and even after the week was over. But that first Sunday, he's sitting in the lobby, and he was here early. He was waiting outside the doors until the doors opened for our service to start. 
And he sent a text into the thread that I've never forgotten. Maybe he has. I, I'm not sure, but I, I've never forgotten. I mean, it hit me like, I was like, whoa. And he said, so we can wait in line for hours before the doors open to make sure we all get the, the closest seat possible and that we all sit together so that we have this incredible experience. But all of you are either, are either late or you're not coming this morning. And I remember reading that, and I, I felt a few things. One, I was like, well, and I'm looking around, and the students weren't here yet. And I was like, well, he's not wrong. And I remember feeling, man, have I, have I drifted? Have I forgotten what it means to live and worship and wonder? Because we can get distracted. We can forget to live and wonder. An expectation of what God is going to do. But what God is wanting us to, how God is wanting us to respond is the way that Jesus it, it gives us this example for prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So we begin our prayers to God with this sense of worship. What is worship? Again, it is the intentional attitude and action of focusing on God. And then we respond in wonder. We always live in expectation of what God is going to do. This is how God wants us to live. And this is how God wants us to begin when it comes to prayer. To live in this sense of worship and wonder. And the song that we're going to sing to close just really describes this perfectly and this song is more of an anthem of our, of our soul to just ache and to sing as we profess not only our faith, but as we respond in worship and wonder as we sing about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This song is called Behold. Father's heart, the mystery he lavishes on us. As deep cries out to deep, how desperately he wants us. The things of earth stand next to him like a candle to the sun. Failing Father, what compares to His great love? Behold His holy Son, the Lion and the Lamb given to us. The Word became a man. My soul should know it's saved. Forsaken for the sake of all mankind, salvation is in his blood. Jesus, Messiah, the righteous died for
truth when I can.